Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, for you and for the forgiveness of your sins. God fills us with his love, and it overflows in an abundant way as the people of God that he has called us to be. From Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska, this is Proclaiming the One with Pastors Clint Poppy and Adam Moline. Welcome once again to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar will be joining us in just a little bit. We are looking at the readings for the third Sunday in Lent. Each time we gather for Proclaiming the One, we take a look at the upcoming readings for our Sunday Divine Service. We do this through the one-year series of readings in Lutheran Service Book, LSB, and our goal is always the same, to proclaim the one and only Savior from sin, Jesus, crucified and risen for you, for me, and for the life of the world. Welcome once again, Pastor Moline. Thank you. It's good to be here. Are you having a happy Lent? Oh, what a glorious Lent. Yes, uh, it's my favorite season of the year, and uh, just looking forward to its culmination with Holy Week. Uh, And I mean that in all seriousness. I just really love uh, all the things that happen in church during the season of Lent uh, leading up to Easter. I made that comment uh, several years ago that uh, Lent was my favorite time of the church year, and uh, I just love Lent, and I love the themes of Lent, I love the music of Lent, and uh, one of our one of our uh, members came up to me and said, well, well, I love Easter, and said it just like that, as if we were pitting Lent against Easter. Uh, properly understood, Lent is a preparation for an even more joyous celebration of Easter. And so I think that's a, uh, a misconception or a danger that uh, during Lent we only focus on the suffering or the passion, the pain, the sorrow, the crown of thorns, the old rugged cross with no thought at all to where this is leading us, the glorious resurrection, the triumphant ascension, and the continuing real presence of Christ among us. Is that, uh, uh, is that your observation as well, Pastor? Yeah, I, I definitely always have to have the fulfillment of what you're preparing for, and so that's why I guess maybe this is a good place to encourage people to come to the Easter Vigil and kind of watch the transition from uh, Lent into Easter take place within the church and within the worship uh, of the church, because I think that really drives home how important both parts are. Uh, it is it is one unit. Lent and Easter go together. Well said. And uh, on a uh, sister program here at KNNA, we have At Home in Your Hymnal. And uh, right now, uh, we're playing kind of a, a general Lenten program to uh, teach people about the importance and the significance of Lent. But as we get a little bit closer to Easter, we'll have a separate program dedicated to Monday, Thursday, a separate program dedicated to the Theology and Practice of Good Friday, and we also have, uh, I believe it's one of the best programs we've ever done, but a program on the Easter Vigil. And uh, if you have not been to an Easter Vigil service, uh, what are you waiting for? It is, it is a marvelous, marvelous transition time where um, uh, we have lots of opportunity to make the move from Lent to Easter all in one service. And uh, uh, if you haven't done that before, uh, please consider that. That's the Saturday before Easter, Easter Saturday. It's the Easter Vigil. And uh, many churches throughout uh, 
throughout the country will be celebrating an Easter vigil. I know that we will be, as we have for the last uh, more than a decade, here at Good Shepherd. Pastor, our gospel reading for the third Sunday in Lent is Luke 11, 14 to 28. Would you share those words with us, please? Now Jesus was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said, He casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. While others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided house falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places, seeking rest, and finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you, and the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. We have here a marvelous reading for us halfway into our Lenten journey. This third Sunday in Lent takes us to Luke chapter 11. We have several different yet related things that are going on here. Uh, It is not uncommon by this time in the Gospel of Luke or for Christians who actually read their Bibles to see Jesus casting out demons. Uh, Pastor, in in a general sense, when Jesus is casting out demons, what's going on? Well, uh, maybe we need to know a little bit about demon possession first, and we always try to just say as, as much as we need and know more about this topic so that we don't uh, stir up interest in it uh, that is unnecessary. But uh, basically, demons are fallen angels, spiritual beings that can, uh, in a way, take over the control of a person's body uh, through deception and lies and things like that. That's the method of Satan. Um, and so when Jesus is coming around later, he is... Uh, uh, I'm going to sneeze. Nope, no, we're not. Uh, He is casting them out. He's commanding them by his authority as God to leave the person alone and releasing that person from the lies and deceit and manipulation of Satan. And uh, so by the power of his word, Christ has that authority. When we're talking about the casting out of demons, Jesus is proving that he is master over 
the demons. He's God in the flesh. And this particular text really isn't so much about the miracle. We have we have many other uh pericopes or texts that are before us where the focus is on the miracle and the after effects of the miracle and all that. This is kind of a precursor to something bigger that's going on here. And immediately after Jesus casts out the demons, there is an attack on Jesus. And this attack on Jesus is an attack on his identity. Pastor, why would the people attack Jesus' identity? The well, people marveled at the miracle, verse thirteen, or, uh, verse 15, but some of them said he casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. Well, um, they, they're going after Jesus because they don't like his theology. They don't like his teaching and his doctrine. And um, this is just a reality of sinners in this world. It's still the truth today. There's lots of people who just don't like Jesus, and so they try to change him or soften him or uh, just don't worry about him at all. And the people back then are doing the same thing. And so what do you do um, today You know, on Facebook if there's someone who says something you don't like? Uh, the first thing you do is you call him a big stinky head. You go for the ad hominem attack. And that's what they do here as well. This is an ad hominem attack. Ad hominem means to the man. Instead of addressing the argument or the things the person is doing, you you just basically call them a name. And in this case, then, the ad hominem attack says, well, Satan's just working uh, Jesus just works for Satan, Beelzebul, and that's how he's casting out demons to get a following for Satan. And uh, it's kind of a silly argument, but it is the same sort of silly arguments that you see on Twitter and Facebook and all other social media today uh, that are ad hominem attacks. It is it is a silly uh, attack and a silly uh, way to approach this, but uh, Jesus takes it pretty serious. And at the end of our text, uh, he's going to teach the the people of that day and teach us that uh, this this whole. Um, flirting or playing around with demons or demonic possession or uh, thinking that you can uh, claim to be a Christian and yet not live like a Christian, not be fed like a Christian, exposes you to the absolute worst possible thing that you can you can do. Before we get to that, and we'll get to that more in our next segment, Pastor, it says uh, some people were amazed. They were amazed once again at uh, Jesus and his command over even the de- demons. Some uh, whined and complained and said, oh, yeah, he just works for Satan. That's why he's doing it. And almost lost in this is um, while others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. Now, I'm not a smart man. He just cast out a demon. Isn't that a sign from heaven? Why are the people wanting to test him and wanting more or another or a different sign? Well, I think to some people, it's entertaining, right? Uh, and that's what they want is to continue to be entertained. I think to some people, um, nothing will ever be enough to prove that he's from heaven. I think for some people, um, I mean, this is the same thing. Um, they want the 
miracles to be on their terms. This is what Herod did when Jesus was arrested and brought before him, you know. Just show me one little miracle and I'll set you free. I love the, is it... um, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ superstar. superstar. I knew what you were Walk thinking. across my swimming pool, right? Yeah. I couldn't tell if that was God's spell or if it was Jesus Christ no, it's superstar. Jesus Christ superstar. Um, anyways, um, you know, that's what people want. They want things on their terms. They want to be entertained. They want um, uh, more and more proof and evidence, and that's these people that we're talking about. The uh, almost comical thing uh, you said before we started the program today, oh, I just love this text, Luke 11. This is where Jesus quotes Abraham Lincoln. Uh, we got about a minute left in this segment, Pastor. What in the world were you talking about? Well, Jesus says, uh, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. This is the idea that uh, Abraham Lincoln uses uh, in many of his speeches and uh, discussions. I think it's even engraved in the the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C., that a house divided against itself falls. And, and so that's our modern context. I think there's something here, too. Uh, if you look at uh, the emperor Tiberius, who's reigning at this time, uh, Tiberius was never actually the son of Augustus, the emperor, but instead he was the stepson. He was the son of uh, Livia, who was a Claudian. And uh, Augustus kept trying to have his own offspring to take over, and they kept on dying or being miserable or terrible. And there was this conflict between uh, Tiberius and Augustus's kids. And when all Augustus's kids died, he was left leaving Tiberius in control. And so even in that Caesar's family, we see this same idea. And that's not the kingdom Jesus is talking about, is it? We'll have an opportunity to unpack that and to talk a little bit more about this whole demon possession thing. Where's Jesus going with this when we come back from our break? This is Proclaiming the One. Don't change that dial. to K-N-N-A-L-P, 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One. We're taking a look at the readings for the third Sunday in Lent. Uh, Pastor, before we dig into this, we got a lot of lot of stuff on the table. But uh, people, when they come to church during Lent, they expect the passion, the passion story, the old rugged cross. When I survey the, the wondrous cross, they kind of expect that in the readings. And we don't get that on Sundays. We don't get that on Sundays until Lent 5. The first four Sundays in Lent uh, are not directly connected to the passion, suffering, and Good Friday death of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And yet most of our Lenten hymns are those passion kind of a hymns. What do you make of that? Have you thought about that much? Well, 
I don't know that we can disconnect any of Jesus' ministry from what he's really here for, which is uh, to go to the cross and to die and to rise again. And so the way we can think about it is all these texts that we read about and all the miracles and the uh, healings and even the preaching and teaching that Jesus does, in a way it's kind of like a crescendo that is building and building and building so that when the crucifixion and the resurrection come, uh, it's the climax of the story. We've been prepared for it, we're ready for it, we understand what it means and can then kind of dissect it into how that applies to us because we've been prepared for it by all these Lenten texts. And so we don't want to separate them. We want to sing the Lenten hymns that drive us to the cross, even as we're hearing these things that maybe at first glance uh, don't seem directly connected. That is that is exceptionally well said. Thank you. Thank you very much for that. All right, we're looking at the gospel reading, uh, Luke eleven fourteen to 28. Vicar has joined us now. Vicar, do you want to share those words with us so we have them fresh in our brain? Now Jesus was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said, He casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, while others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges." But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, and finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. As he said these things, A woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you, and the breast at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Okay, those last words uh, from Luke 11, verse 28, are powerful words. They show up in our liturgy on several occasions, and that's really where we're going here. Jesus is talking about those who hear the Word of God and believe it, who hear the Word of God and keep it, and the danger that you put yourself in spiritually if you do not hear the Word of God, believe it, 
and keep it. Uh, Pastor, we were joking right at the end of the last segment with regard to uh, Jesus quoting Abraham Lincoln. And, uh, you know, it's a famous quote, and and Abraham Lincoln knew his scripture. I don't know how much he believed it, uh, but he knew his scripture, and he applied this to the division between the North and the South at the time of the Civil War. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about here, uh, Satan is not divided against himself. And then he goes on to say, if I cast out by demons, uh, by the devil, who are your people casting them out? And then at verse 20, he says, but if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. How is that sentence right there? If I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. How is that really the key to this particular pericope? And in another sense, the key to all of all of Holy Scripture. Well, that's that's the question, right? Is is Jesus who he says he is or not? And if he is, then we ought to really listen to him. If he's not, then it doesn't really matter, right? Correct. And and everything that Jesus does is to tell us that he is who he is and that he is the one who's come to vanquish death and the grave and Satan. And, uh, I mean, this is the same conversation we could have with people today, right? Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Uh, yes, he did, and that's pretty historically unassailable uh, fact. And so if that's true— then why wouldn't you believe all the things that he says and all the things that he teaches? And why wouldn't you live your life in a way accordingly? And that's really what the whole crux of Christianity is. If Jesus is the Son of God, we really ought to pay attention to him. And I think that's the part of what's being done here in this particular gospel lesson. How do you believe it, right? And so you you mentioned it uh, a minute ago, so i got to bring it to this point. How do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it is is the other part that needs to be driven home in this particular gospel lesson. This is why the, the false notion of making a decision or inviting Jesus into your heart as a one-time act and a one-time thing, and uh, now I'm a Christian, and it doesn't really matter what I do or say, uh, I'll try real hard to be to live a holy life, but it doesn't really matter because I made that decision. That's why that is such a dangerous, dangerous teaching in the church. This is an ongoing need for the Christian to hear the word of God, to be driven in our knees to rep- on our knees in repentance and to continually hear and believe the word of God. Pastor, this is this is what this whole strong man stronger man thing is really getting at and uh, emptying ourselves and then opening a door for Satan. You and I have both heard many many bad sermons with regard to this stronger man thing. Can you can you help bring some clarity to this whole thing where Jesus now is giving this example uh, with regard to when a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks and overcomes him, he takes away his armor. Then he has that little whoever not, is not with me is against me, almost a parenthetical statement. And then he says, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, Waterless places, 
I will read, and it says, I will return to my house from which I came, and when it comes, it brings back seven times more demons. <laughs> what, what is this? Yeah, there's about uh, three hours worth of discussion we could have on well, all You got about three to, minutes. Yeah, so, so um, first off, the take, strong take man. Take notes, Vicar. The strong man who's got the armor and trusts in the armor and guards himself, that's us, right? Uh, We're trusting in different things in the world. Those will be our rescue and our defense and and the things in our world. The stronger man who comes uh, and takes it away and conquers it, that's Christ. And he's taking away our idols, our our fake trusting uh, things and all these things, and he's taking them away. And we have no place left then to trust in ourselves. Um, And so we have that first part there that's kind of what's talking there and it's maybe hard to understand we also then have uh this word from jesus if you're not against me or sorry if you're not with me you're against me and that's the reality then uh, and how do you know if you're not with jesus well i trust in my money or i trust in my wealth or i trust in my family or i trust in my nation or my politician or whatever you're not with jesus when you're doing those things it's an all or nothing thing uh in terms of our faith and and really Maybe we ought to live that way a little bit better in our world. Um, we we seem to really love soccer practice, which is now on Sundays, or um, you know, Lincoln shopping. Mar- Lincoln Marathon's coming. Uh, the whole city will be closed down on that Sunday. People right. people won't even be able to cross the roadblocks and get to church. Right, and, and so we're divided. We're divided from God, and we can't live and sustain our faith in that particular way. Um, and that's the waterless places that you also asked about that we have to go all the way back to the creation right where god created the earth and then he said let the waters above be separated from the waters below and the waters below are what become our world here the land comes out of that and the waters above are the heavens uh, the heavenly waters the uh, mayim and the shemayim in the the hebrew there and the waterless places then are the places where satan's left when he's kicked out of both uh, heaven and the world because of going against sin and so the demon that's been exercised is left wandering the waterless places, uh, the parched, deadly desert places, seeking a new home. And and so we see all these things Jesus is bringing in here, lots of which kind of we can get lost in unless we understand the real point, which is blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. And by hearing that word, you belong to Christ. If you leave your house empty by not having it filled up with Christ and his word and his gifts. You have left your heart, your soul, open for Satan to come back sevenfold. Is that is that a fair way to uh, summarize what you just said, Pastor? It is, and that's where the danger is. I'm a Christian, but I don't need to go to church, right? Um, uh, I believe, but I think God is everywhere out there, and so I can I can commune with God in his creation rather than in a church that was created by man. Uh, and all these other excuses that you hear, the place where God is for you in his word is in the divine service, and that's why it's so important to be there. And if we cut ourselves off from that, we leave ourselves open to being divided, to being possessed, to being taken away from the true faith. Um, is it necessarily going to happen? Can you keep saving faith apart from the divine service? Maybe, 
Maybe, but it's not likely, and you're putting yourself at great risk, which is why it's so important to be at church. Right? That's what we had to end the show every week, right? Get up, pray for your pastor, go to church. Amen. And you're putting yourself and your family, your loved ones, in grave, grave danger by ignoring Jesus' words. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Uh, please, my friends, do not leave your house empty. Fill it. God will fill it for you. Just go to church. Hear the word of God. Receive the gifts of God. Believe it. And filled with Christ, there is no stronger demon, man, anything that can drive Jesus out. And that is God's promise. That's God's promise for you today. That's God's promise to you every day. We need to take a short break. We'll be back in just a moment. This is Proclaiming the One. FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Golden. Privileged to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church here in Lincoln, Nebraska. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the cross of Christ my Lord. What a, what a marvelous line and a marvelous Lenten hymn pointing our hearts, our minds, our worship toward the cross, the old rugged cross of our Lord and Savior Jesus, where he shed his blood once and for all, for all people, for all sin, for all time, for you, for the life of the world. We're looking at the readings for the third Sunday in Lent, our Old Testament reading. It's a long narrative from Jeremiah 26. Vicar, take it away. In the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came from the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Stand in the court of the Lord's house, and speak to all the cities of Judah that come to worship in the house of the Lord. All the words that I command you to speak to them, do not hold back a word. It may be they will listen, and everyone turn from his evil way that I may relent of the disaster that I intend to do to them because of their evil deeds. You shall say to them, Thus says the Lord, If you will not listen to me, to walk in my law that I have set before you, and to listen to the words of my servants, the prophets whom I send to you urgently, though you have not listened, then I will make this house like Shiloh, and I will make this city a curse for all the nations of the earth. The priests and the prophets and all the people heard Jeremiah speaking these words in the house of the Lord. And when Jeremiah had finished speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak to all the people, then the priests and the prophets and all the people laid hold of him, saying, You shall die. Why have you prophesied in the name of the Lord, saying, This house shall be like Shiloh, and this, set, and this city shall be desolate without inhabitant? And all the people gathered around Jeremiah in the house of the Lord. When the officials of Judah heard these things, 
they came up from the king's house to the house of the Lord and took their seat in the entry of the new gate of the house of the Lord. Then the priests and the prophets said to the officials and to all the people, This man deserves the sentence of death, because he has prophesied against this city, as you have heard with your own ears. Then Jeremiah spoke to all the officials and all the people, saying, The Lord sent me to prophesy against this house and this city, all the words you have heard. Now therefore, mend your ways and your deeds, and obey the voice of the Lord your God, and the Lord will relent of the disaster that he has pronounced against you. But as for me, behold, I am in your hands. Do with me as seems good and right to you. Only know for certain that if you put me to death, you will bring innocent blood upon yourselves and upon this city and its inhabitants. For in truth, the Lord sent me to you to speak all these words in your ears. Holy Hootman. What a powerful, powerful word. And uh, now you know why we don't have too many readings from Jeremiah the prophet in our Sunday morning divine service. Uh, the, uh, maybe we should have more of them. <laughs> maybe we should have more of them. Maybe we need an in-depth Bible study on the book of Jeremiah as well. Um, the uh, the uh, smart aleck in me wants to say that uh, here we have an account of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod when a pastor finds himself in trouble because he called a prominent member of the congregation, a large giver in the congregation, called him to account because of sin. And this is oftentimes, way too often, uh, what happens to a faithful pastor, to a faithful man of God. Uh, I want to go there. I want to go there so badly. But we need, we need to, with that in mind, this still happens today. With that in mind, pastor, um, we have a long narrative here, so we can't get bogged down in the details. Give us just a tiny little bit of the time era that Jeremiah is preaching. Yeah, Jehoiakim is hes not the last king of Judah. There's two others that come after him, and they are— One of them has Chin in his we, name. Jehoiakim. Jehoiachin, and That's then how I remember it. the other one is Zedekiah, that they both come after him. Uh, and one of them is his brother, uh, Zedekiah is, and one of them is his son, Jehoiachin. Uh, and so those two guys come after him. Uh, we are in, uh, I think, uh, Jehoiachin, well, i got to say him right now, right? Jehoiakim, who we're talking about now, is uh, reigning right as it switches from the 600s to the 500s BC. Jerusalem will soon be destroyed by the Babylonians. At this time, it's essentially a uh, dependent state on the Babylonians. It's been in conflict because the Babylonians to the north and the Egyptians to the south have been fighting, and they're caught right here in the middle of it. We have uh, the discussion about Shiloh that's important here. You'll become like Shiloh. We're talking about the city that in the Old Testament, before the kingdom of Israel, uh, it's where the Ark of the Covenant had been kept, and the people kind of neglected the care of it and thought that it was just kind of a good luck charm, and any time you took it to battle, you were sure to win. And they lost it to the Philistines, and it was uh, taken to the Philistine town, and the Philistines were... Um, 
plagued by it, and they send it back, uh, as we hear shortly before the raise of King David um, and uh, King Saul in the, in the Old Testament. So all these things are the historical events that are being discussed and talked about. It's the end of the kingdom of Judah. It's it's coming soon, and God and through Jeremiah is telling them that you're going to be like Shiloh when it was destroyed. We have we have kind of an overarching theme of the day. Jesus' words from our gospel reading: "Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it." One of the one of the things whenever I see the name Josiah, I am reminded of the famous account where Josiah uh, and the priest rediscover the word of God. And there's kind of like a mini reformation that goes on in the church because the people, it's like, oh, where has this been? Let's dust off the book. They read the word of God. They have a fast. They start coming and they believe, they tear down the high places. All these things happen. Uh, What happened after this great reformation under the time of Josiah, and now we have all of this stuff that's going on where the people want to want to kill the prophet of God. Well, we have to kind of understand the way it works. You might have a reformation and a return, but before that, during the reign of Manasseh, for 55 years, God's word was never preached or taught, and the worship was corrupted because uh, there was an altar to Baal and Asherah in the temple courts itself. And so we can't just picture the kingdom of Judah as like this holy place. It wasn't. It was just like our world today. It's constantly falling apart and becoming a mess. And so lots of lots of drama. Yes, lots of drama. Okay. Um, Manasseh and um, um, his his descendants, uh, they haven't been worshiping God because they haven't even had the word. The word has been buried under the temple and forgotten. Josiah finds it, and he brings it out, and they start to worship um, again according to the word, and the people repent for a little while. But as often happens, just because one guy repents and finds the true faith, it doesn't mean that his family stays in that faith. And so when Josiah is killed in battle, Josiah's son uh, is the one who we're talking about here, Jehoiakim. That's right. And it, it didn't, didn't take very long for this to It didn't take very happen. long. And that's what happens when there's 55 years without God's word. Even if it comes back a little bit, uh, it doesn't necessarily penetrate to the depth it needs to have a good, strong foundation again. And that's not putting down God's word. It's rather talking about how serious our sin is and how easily our sin propagates itself. It's almost as if if you leave your heart open and your soul and your spirituality open and empty for any length of time, Satan's going to come in and fill it with a bunch of stuff. Am I? Uh, You're uh, hitting the nail on the head. Yes. Okay. Uh, and... Uh, The 55-year thing is horrific, but it can happen with 55 hours or 55 days or 55 weeks. Every generation has to rehear the gospel. You can't just assume uh, that uh, everything will just pass itself along. We need to always be in the Word. We need to dedicate ourselves to the Word. We need to take it seriously because, as has been stated later after this time, the gospel's like a passing rain shower, and so you better enjoy it while it's around. Pastor, I know that we have 
other pastors that listen to this program for personal edification or for preparation for their Sunday morning worship. Um, if there is a pastor who is under attack for being faithful and preaching the Word of God, if there is a pastor who is feeling down and weary because of all the drama that sin brings with it in the church, uh, and you just want to go to another field or you just want to cash it in or whatever, what hope can we derive from those last uh, two verses of Jeremiah 28, verses 14 and 15. Well, Jeremiah does what all the uh, servants of God do in the face of uh, struggles like this. He says, if you want to kill me, go for it. You know, uh, I desire to depart and be with Christ. That will be much better, essentially. Although uh, maybe Jeremiah is not confessing it quite that clearly. But uh, Jeremiah says, if you kill me for doing what God has asked me to do, the blood will be on your head. Innocent blood will be on your head. And I think this brings us then back to Lent and to Holy Week, where Jesus is the one who really is completely and totally innocent and being accused uh, wrongly and falsely and lied about and goes to the cross and dies for it. And uh, in that, forgiveness for all of us is one. And so Jeremiah is pointing us ahead to that, and we see that that's what his faith is in. He's willing to die for the faith because he knows there's a resurrection and eternal life in God. And so he's not afraid to go to that if that's what God requires, because he's really keeping the first commandment, fearing, loving, and trusting in God above all things. And take they his life, goods, fame, child, or wife, though these all be gone, the victory still is won. And uh, I think I think bringing that to the cross is the perfect way to uh, look at this particular text and to give us peace and hope and comfort and even joy in the midst of struggle. We love because Christ first loved us. Uh, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We serve because Christ first served us. And for pastors who are under attack or who, quite frankly, are just feeling weary, we serve because Christ has called us to serve. And we preach and teach, just like Jeremiah, the word of the Lord. Not our own opinion, but the word of the Lord. And with that confidence... We continue to live and move and hear the word of God, believe it, and if you're called into this holy office, to preach it as well. We need to take a short break. This is Proclaiming the One. We're looking at the re readings for the third Sunday in Lent. When we come back, we're going to take a look at Ephesians. Don't change that dial.
Welcome back to At Home in Your Hymnal. Oh, gosh. We talked about At Home in Our Hymnal in the last segment. This is Proclaiming the One. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One. Sorry for that uh, little, little bit of a uh, brain gap there. Uh, we're looking at the readings for the third Sunday in Lent. In our first two segments, we looked at our gospel reading, Luke 11, 14 to 28, bottom line, Jesus' words, Luke eleven twenty eight. blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. In our Old Testament reading, our third segment, we looked at the narrative from Jeremiah 26, where Jeremiah faithfully proclaims the word of God, and the people of God don't want to hear it, and uh, they blame the messenger for the message. And uh, it is a very, very sad thing when that happened to Jeremiah. It's a sad thing when it happens in the church today. And we have Jeremiah making this appeal and plea to the people that uh, you can do to me what you want, but just know I've spoken the truth to you and spoken the truth to you. And if, uh, if you are attacking me, you are really attacking the Lord. The uh, really, really good news, and I uh, we didn't talk about this. We didn't have time in our um, in our uh, third segment where we talked about the Old Testament reading. At the end of Jeremiah 26, Jeremiah is spared from death, and uh, thanks be to God for that. Go go to Jeremiah 26 and read that narrative, and uh, you'll see the rest of the story. Uh, we're going to take now a look in our last segment at our epistle reading, Ephesians 5, 1 to 9. And uh, we have some um, interesting words that are here in Ephesians 5. Remember, our epistle reading is almost always a practical application of everything that we've heard so far, and especially the theme, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it in this particular sense. And uh, also be reminded that uh, during the season of Lent, we have extra opportunities for worship. We gather on Wednesday at 4 and 6.30 with the fellowship meal in between. Our regular Sunday divine services, 8 and 10.30 with Sunday school for all ages in between. We're located at 3825 Wildbriar Lane in Lincoln, Nebraska. Come join us, and uh, we'd love to have you worship with us. If you're not able to, you can always listen on 95.7 KNNALP in Lincoln, Nebraska. If you're outside of our listening area, check us out on the web or on your handheld device, thecross957.org. Vicar, Ephesians 5, 1-9. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not associate with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, 
For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Okay, we got some heavy, heavy words here from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 5. And again, be reminded that oftentimes in these epistle readings, the practical application or the teaching sanctification or righteous living comes at the end of the epistle after a very, very clear uh, proclamation of law and gospel Uh, salvation in and only in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Ephesians 4, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all. And now flowing from that faith comes the sanctified life. Pastor, be imitators of God. It seems to me that Uh, The Apostle Paul here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is telling us to do the impossible. How would you respond to that observation? I I don't think that's—I mean, it's not be imitators of God in the sense of call things into creation by the power of your word or uh, exist for all time and in all places. In fact, uh, those would be the very things that Satan would uh, uh, want us to believe that we can do. But rather, uh, what he's asking us to do is to be holy as God is holy. In other words, reflect God in how we live our lives and the things that we say and do. And and that, in that sense, we can be imitators of God, uh, though far from perfect imitators of God in this sinful world. And the specific aspect of that holiness that Paul is driving at here is love. As beloved children, verse 2, now walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice of God. Vicar, how did God love us in Jesus Christ? Well, he loved us so much he wanted to preserve his creation for us to live forever forever in order to do that he gives his sinless and only begotten son jesus to die for us on the cross as a as this offering and sacrifice this is love not that we love god but that he loved us and gave his son as the atoning sacrifice the propitiation for the sin of the world because jesus loved us Now we are able to love one another, imperfectly because we're still sinners, but this is our goal as Christians. Just because we can't do it perfectly doesn't mean that we shouldn't try. And I think this sometimes is a built-in excuse for Christians. Well, I can't be sinless. Um, You know, if you say you have no sin, you deceive yourself. And the truth is not, we say that often in church. So why should I even try? Because I can't do it. And that is nothing other than, than a a lie of Satan or um, the deception of empty words that we read about in Ephesians 5, verse 6. So, um, right away, Pastor, in verse 3, Paul goes to the heart of, I suppose what we would say, is not imitating God not walking in love, not being a child of God who is to walk in love. And he is talking about sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, filthiness, foolish talk, crude joking. 
And then, after a little brief interlude, instead of doing those things, be thankful. And then he says, uh, sexual immorality, anything that is impure, covetous, that is an idolater. Um, why does Paul, again, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, go for these specific sins? Well, I think they are sins that the people in Ephesus are actually dealing with. They're also sins that are specifically mentioned in the Ten Commandments. And uh, he's going to also go forward from here and talk about marriage as well, which is one of the Ten Commandments. Uh, the Sixth Commandment deals with marriage. And and so he's going and talking about uh, Christians in the salvation they have won from Jesus Christ, they actually seek to keep the Ten Commandments to the best of their human ability. And in so doing, they are rejoicing in God and his word. And um, this goes back to the gospel lesson, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Uh, that's the very thing that Paul is encouraging them to do in this regard. It's not winning their salvation, but because they are saved, this is what people do. Okay, now I want to hit on a touchy subject, or what could be a touchy subject. In verse 6, uh, Paul says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So he is talking specifically about empty words with regard to these things, that sexual immorality, that impurity, whatever. Uh, what does this say to pastors or churches or church bodies that set apart certain parts of God's word, especially the sexual deviancy or the sexual sin parts, and say, oh, that used to be a sin back in the olden days, but it's no longer a sin today. That used to be a sin back in the olden days, but now we're more enlightened and we realize that these things are not sinful. They're just love. Well, there's lots of things you could say on that. First off, that's not even a very good argument from a, a historicity standpoint. Um, additionally, um, it's kind of uh, leaves you not trusting any of God's word. How do you determine which parts are historical and which parts are not? Uh, and that it makes the whole argument fall apart. It makes the whole thing fall apart. God's word is God's word. It speaks the truth. And if you aren't going to uphold all of God's word as true, then you're really left with no leg left to stand on. And I think that's exactly what we see in a lot of these mainstream churches today that have thrown out God's word. They are quickly collapsing and falling apart and shrinking, and that's just the reality of it. So we have God's warning here. Um that uh, not to be deceived with empty words, uh, the wrath of God is coming. And then in verse 7, he says, therefore, do not associate with them. Is Paul talking about uh, some kind of a, a separatism with regard to our faith? Is he echoing the words from Romans sixteen seventeen, where he says, mark and avoid them? What, uh, what kind of separation are we talking about here, Pastor? Well, um, it's, it's a difficult thing because we are in a sinful world and we're surrounded by sinful people. And even in the world that Paul is writing to, especially in places like Ephesus, it would be almost impossible to really separate yourself from them in the sense that we're not living off in a commune by yourself and all the Christians. But at the same time, when we separate ourselves from these people, what it means is we're not 
just being silent when we see the the sinful things going on. We're not just accepting them as a part of life, and we're not uh, embracing them as our own identities or who we are or live and let live sort of thing. We are distinct from the world even though we are in the world. We are uh, not worldly even though until we die we live in the world, and that's what Paul is trying to get us to understand, that we are not going to surround ourselves with these vulgar things or with idolatry or any of these things, we're going to trust in God and his word and uphold that word as true and important and good. Satan wants your soul, and he will do anything humanly possible to tear you away from the loving arms of Jesus. And one of the things that he is really, really good at, and he has been for thousands of years, is to use God's gift of sexuality, turn it into a perverse, dirty nothingness, and cause you to become an idolater with regard to that kind of sexual perversion. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Your sins are forgiven in Jesus. Christ has made you holy. Now, as the Father is holy, go and live a holy life. Vicar, would you bring things to a close today with the words of the collect for the third Sunday in Lent? Let us pray. O God, whose glory it is always to have mercy, be gracious to all who have gone astray from your ways and bring them again with penitent hearts and steadfast faith to embrace and hold fast the unchangeable truth of your word. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. 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 Thank you for tuning in to Proclaiming the One. We've looked at the readings for the third Sunday in Lent. Sunday, when you get out of bed, read your paper, drink your coffee. Please pray for your pastor. And most of all, go to church. God's richest blessings in Christ. We'll see you next week.